Well, our Old Testament lesson this morning is Psalm 9, verses 1 through 10. We already sang these verses uh, earlier, Psalm 9, 1 through 10, but let us read them uh, together, which will be found on page 846 in your pew Bibles. And before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us that, uh, that does reveal you, uh, clearer than even creation reveals you. And God, we thank you that as we read your word, we can come to know you better for who you really are and not um, who we've imagined you to be. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to hear your word, to really hear it, that you would help us to understand what you have uh, been communicating to us, that you'd help us to have hearts that are ready to receive it, to take it in, and to live it as your people in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 9, verses 1 through 10. For the director of music to the tune of the death of the son, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you, for you have upheld my right and and my cause. Sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Turning then to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it seems I'm having some microphone problems. Let's see if I can have a lot of static here shortly, and then maybe we won't have any more. <laughs> if I can 
didn't get it. All right. Hopefully, we got that short work down. Okay. That's not where I wanted to start. Where I wanted to start was by asking you um, if anybody here has ever been falsely accused of anything. Actually, I want to take it a step farther. I want to know um, if you would like to be falsely accused of anything. Anybody? No? No takers on that one? If you have ever been falsely accused of anything, um, or even think about the idea of that, if somebody is going to accuse you of doing something that you would not do, you know you would not do that, and yet they say you've done it, or that they say you've said something that, no, of course you would not say, and yet they say that you've said it. If that's the kind of thing, whether that happens formally or informally, whether you actually have to go to court to defend yourself, or whether this is just something that is happening in sort of the rumor mill, I want to ask you to think of a word that would describe how you would feel in that moment. When being falsely accused, what word best describes how that feels? Now, raise your hand if the word that you chose was glad. Anybody? Nobody. All right. Well, (laughs) that that sounds like you're all normal. So congratulations, you passed the test. (laughs) Glad is not the kind of thing that we feel when we're being falsely accused. There are a lot of other words, a lot of which you might not want to say in church, but that come to mind. (laughs) But glad is actually the one that Paul uses after he's been falsely accused. This is what we're going to be looking at this morning in Acts 24. He says that he gladly makes his defense. And so he's been... uh, He has been arrested for doing something he hasn't done. We're going to hear what the charges are against him, and we're going to hear the way he defends himself. But I think it is really interesting that the way he begins is by saying, I gladly make my defense. And so we're going to see where that comes from and then how it is that he defends kind of point by point what the charges are and what that means for us as we go forward from here. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 21. Uh, kind of catching up on where we are at this point. Paul has been transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Uh, he was transferred to, from Jerusalem to Caesarea because basically there was a plot on his life in Jerusalem. It was too dangerous for him to stay there. Uh, he had already been beaten up in front of the temple, and the Roman guard had kind of come get him out of that. The Roman commander got him out of there and now finds out there's a plot against him, and so they send him on to Caesarea, where he is awaiting trial. So now here we go from there. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix, the governor. Uh, We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. You've got to listen to this guy. (laughs) The way that he lays it on thick when he's talking to the governor. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, which is not true, by the way, but anyway. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with most profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. 
The other, joy, the other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Okay, we're going to pause right there. That's the stage is set. And um, we hear what the accusations are. Are any of them true? No. This is not what Paul has been doing. And yet he has already been beat up. He's had a plot against his life. And now he's standing trial again for these things that he did not do. So all those words you were thinking of earlier, (laughs) that's what you would expect uh, Paul to be feeling. And yet... Verse 10, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. That's as far as we're going today. So we'll have to find out what happens uh, with this trial Uh, in the weeks to come. But for now, we're just looking at Paul standing there and making his defense, which he does gladly. Now, how in the world is Paul able to make this defense gladly? There are a couple things going on here. One, has he done anything wrong? No. No. He's not. He has been doing. He says in uh, verse 16. Sorry. 24, 16. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. This is what Paul is doing. Does that mean he's doing everything perfectly? No. But he's keeping short accounts. This is, you know, when when he messes up, he's the first to admit it. Nobody else needs to call him on it. He's the first to admit it. He wants to make sure that his conscience is clear, that if he's uh, done something where he needs to apologize, he's going to apologize. And so they've got nothing on him here, nothing he's not already willing to admit, of course. But even the charges they've made are not true. And this is where we get to, um, this is where we get to some fun language issue things. Do you know where our word apology comes from? This is a weird English word because it comes almost straight from the Greek in how it looks and sounds. And yet, it has a very different meaning now than it used to have, even though that's what it comes from. And so what it comes from, um, apolegami, 
And so you've got very similar word, and yet it's the word that's used in this passage, not for Paul saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. That's what we mean today, right? When we talk about apology, we say, I'm sorry, I should not have done it. You're right. I'm wrong. That biblically is confession, just admitting that you're in the wrong. And there's a place for that. So you have this confession and you have repentance, but apology in, uh, in the Bible didn't mean what it means today. It didn't mean saying you're sorry and admitting you're wrong. What an apology was is a defense. So the word is actually used here when he says, I gladly make my defense. He's like, here's my apology. <laughs> and so we actually have in um, the church today this whole field of apologetics, and that's what that is. It's, making, it's a defense of the faith. It's saying, let me give you the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing, why we believe what we believe. It's just making that defense. Now, with that understanding, does Paul want to tell people why he's doing what he's doing? That's what he's about. Paul really wants to tell people why his life is different than it used to be. You know, if you read the first part of the book of Acts and you see when we first meet Paul, Paul is the Pharisee who's seeking out Christians to have them killed, right? And thrown in prison. But that's not what he's doing now. And so everybody wants to know, well, why? And he wants to tell them why. (laughs) And it's all because of Jesus. And so every opportunity that he has, and this is what he's been going all around the Mediterranean world doing, is trying to find people who will listen to why Paul's life is different. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so here he is. He's been accused of things he didn't do, but all the things he did do are all because of Jesus. And the reason people are mad at him are all because of Jesus. And the reason people are making up stuff about him is all because of Jesus. And so now Paul is in front of this governor, and he's getting to answer these charges, and he's going to get to tell people it's all because of Jesus. You think Paul's glad to have an opportunity to tell the governor it's all about Jesus? He's pretty glad about that. That's where this word comes in. Paul has understood from the time he met Jesus, it's not about Paul anymore. It's all about Jesus. And so when we have these attacks that come at us, and what is the first thing we think of? It's about me. (laughs) I can't believe they would say this about me. This is not right what they're doing to me, and this is going to affect, you know, what I get to do or don't do, either (laughs) uh, whether we're looking at prison time or fines or even just, and more likely, uh, what it's going to mean about my reputation and what people think about my character. This is important. But Paul doesn't seem to care about those sort of things. What Paul is looking for is an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And if it means that people are saying bad things about him in order for him to get to have this opportunity, he'll take it. He'll take it. And because he knows that his defense is one that's going to hold up. It might not hold up in an earthly court, but it's going to hold up. Um, this is, I hate to use sports analogies um, more than necessary, but sometimes it's necessary. If you <laughs> have been paying attention to the El Dorado Eagles high school football team lately, they have a defense that's holding up. <laughs> And what is it, Jake, and correct me if I'm wrong, but so far in district, three points have been scored on us. And meanwhile, we scored hundreds <laughs> on the opponents. Yeah, it's been crazy. 
We've got the we got the total right there. 178 to 3. That's very good. That's very good. They've been doing well. And this is this is my point is that that defense seems to be holding up no matter what anybody else throws at it. And Paul, I think, has the same sort of confidence in his defense that it doesn't matter what's coming. This is going to hold up. He knows what he's been doing. He knows why he's been doing it. And so, you know, you've got accusations to bring. You've got false things you're going to say. Bring it on because God knows what's really going on. He knows my heart. He knows my motivations. He knows what I'm actually doing. And he doesn't care what it is that you're saying about it. This is going to hold up. And this is where Paul can be glad to make this defense. It's why he's able, you know, as he strives always to have his conscience clear before God and man. Um, there is a place in First um, Peter talks about this sort of thing. There's another place where Paul says, I want to tell you this first. Um, we're having our Thanksgiving lunch today. Paul says, uh, to rejoice always and to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know that? Be joyful always, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what we see Paul living when he is on trial for false charges. Still being joyful. Still being able to give thanks. So he knows uh, where, his, where his hope is, and it's not in the justice system of the day. <laughs> it's not. He is not trusting that the people around him are going to make good decisions. His trust is in Jesus. Here's what we have in um, 1 Peter chapter 3. This is verses 13 through 18. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I think Paul and Peter in absolute agreement about this, don't you? That Paul is actually living out exactly the kinds of things Peter is saying, this is how we ought to be living. This is how Paul is able to be gr- glad even in the midst of uh, these false charges. I want to give you one more reason that I think he's glad for this. And that is a situation that is, uh, and that's because his situation is not common enough today. Yes, sure, there's plenty of false accusations going around. I just mean that most of the time we don't have an opportunity to defend ourselves. You know what I mean, don't you? 
where there are rumors going around that you did things you didn't do or that you said things that you didn't say or that you've thought things you didn't think. And you just long for if, if I could just answer these charges, if I could just stand up and explain to people this is what's going on. It's not like what you're saying. It's like in the book of Nehemiah when he, uh, he writes the letter after being accused of, um, if you remember Nehemiah, they go back to Jerusalem. He's rebuilding the walls, and there are people around that don't like what's going on, and so they start spreading these rumors that uh, actually what he's trying to do is revolt against the Persian king. And, and Nehemiah is like, stop it. It's like nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. It's a great response. And that's how we feel, but there's nobody to say it to because nobody actually comes and faces us one-to-one. Sometimes they do. And I will tell you, I've had moments like this where people have come to me and who have said, this is what I think is going on. Tell me about that. And I'm able to tell them that. And I'm so glad is the word I would use. Glad to have an opportunity to have that conversation to where they leave and they say, oh, <laughs> all right then. We need to be those people who go to each other and say, this is what I think is going on. Is that right or not? And give people a chance. There it comes again. Give people a chance to apologize. To apologize. Either to confess and admit, yes, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. Or to explain that, no, that's not what's going on. Somebody's been making this up out of their own head. <laughs> but to make that defense or to make that confession, either way, to apologize. I don't think we give each other enough opportunity for that. I think too often we run away when given the opportunity to do that ourselves. And yet... Paul, when put in that situation of people falsely accusing him, he didn't run away from the opportunity. He welcomed it. He was glad to make his defense, to say, this is what's going on. (laughs) This is the things that you're saying. That's not what's happening. Here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about my hope in the resurrection. And it's all specifically about the resurrection of Jesus. May we be those who would have these conversations with others and who would be quick to apologize. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.